Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Tom, I'm one of the leaders of Christchurch Manchester across the various sites that we have. It's great to be with you in Fallowfield. I live down in Burnage with my wife Emma and my kids Sam and Elsie. We've been up here for about 10 years, having previously lived in London before that. And my story as a Christian started when I was at university. I was 19 years old, I was in my second year, and my first year at uni was a pretty tough year for me, but I found during that year, one, one of the bright sparks in that year was a friendship with a flatmate of mine, and this flatmate was a Christian, and uh, he kept trying to invite me to stuff, and I kept making excuses and not going, but there came a moment in the second year when, when God had just done something in me to, to make me say, yeah, all right, fine, I'll go along to one of your things, and it, it was incredible. I, I met with God when I was there, and I, I wasn't ready to then commit yet, but it took me a few more weeks of going along to stuff, and just meeting with God, hearing teaching, and I made the choice then to follow Jesus. That was uh, 19 years ago, so that's half of my life now as a Christian. It's great to be here, though, and knowing we're in a set in universities nearby, a lot of people in that same boat that I was in, and the hope that Jesus can bring into whatever situation you're in, whatever situation your flatmates, your course mates and the people around you are in. What I'm going to talk about today is an argument that keeps coming up over and over again. I don't know if you've ever had one of those where you just find yourself, whatever's going on with a certain person, you're drawn into having the same argument with them. Maybe it's flatmate, maybe it's a sibling. This happens a lot with siblings, doesn't it? And when the topic comes up, you can't help but, but rise to it and go for this thing. You know what they think. You know what you think. You know that you saying what you think will annoy them. And you say it anyway, and they know that what they think will annoy you, and they say it anyway, and it all blows up. I've got a couple of mates who did this. They were sharing a house together, and the washing up was the thing. One of them was super strict. All the washing up needs to be done on the same day that the stuff was used. It needs to be dry it needs to be put away. The other one was a little bit more relaxed and like once a week was a bonus if he, if he could manage to do it like that. Um, and so they'd argue about the washing up a lot. And the annoying thing about it wasn't that they were arguing, but they kept telling me about it. And one of them was like, well, my flatmate is really annoying. He'll never wash up. And the other one would be like, my flatmate is really annoying. He's always on my, my back about washing. So shut up, guys. Just, I'll go and do the washing up for you. I didn't quite get that far, but I wanted to. The same argument comes up over and over again. Well, in the Bible, there's an argument a bit like that. If you've read any of the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John about Jesus, you'd, you'd see there are these religious leaders in the day called the Pharisees, and there was an argument they kept having over and over again about something called the Sabbath day. And the Sabbath was the one day a week where God had said, look, you, you want a bit of work-life balance, you want to have six days that it's fine to work, but let's make sure we take a day off, let's make that a part of what we do. All sounds fair enough, but these uh, arguments were about, okay, well, what does that mean? What exactly can you do and can't you do, and how do you use that day? And they kept coming back to this argument over and over and over again. We've got one such story today, and I'm going to read it to you. It's in Matthew chapter 12, so if you have your own Bible and would like to go there, please do, or it should be behind me as well. He, so we're talking about Jesus here, went on from there and entered the synagogue. 
And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, so asking Jesus, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? He said to them, well, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? And of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Right, imagine the scene. They're in the synagogue. Now, the synagogue was basically this, but back in that day. It's where people would gather. They'd come together to be in community with each other, to worship God together, to hear teaching from the scriptures. So picture something a little bit like this, but 2,000 years ago. Jesus is there. They know that Jesus is going to be passing through on that day. And there's a man there who uh, has a disability in his hand. His hand has withered. And it doesn't tell us much about this man. It doesn't tell us whether he was a regular at the synagogue. So maybe he was part of their community who on this day, this group of leaders were like, yeah, we don't like Jesus. We've got this bloke. Let's bring him over so we can parade his condition in front of Jesus. And isn't that a horrible thing to do? I mean, as part of your community of worship, you want to use this guy essentially as baiting a trap for Jesus. Or or the other possibility is that he wasn't even part of their synagogue in the first place. He was just a guy in the town who they found and they decided to invite along that day with this ulterior motive. But it says the words clearly there, doesn't it, in verse 10, so that they might accuse him. They set up this situation where they want to have a go at Jesus And so they've brought this man before him. And it's kind of like they know that Jesus can't resist being nice to people. He can't resist being compassionate. He can't resist helping. And so they set up this situation. Jesus will want to help. Jesus will want to heal. And if he does, then we can have a go at him for it. That's what they've done. They were pretty callous in doing it. Now, on the surface, the conversation is about the Sabbath day. I think it's a bigger conversation. I think there's a conversation in here about two very different visions of what it means to be a follower of God. I read a book this summer, one of the best books I've read in ages. It's called Bullies and Saints. And it's a look at the history of Christianity. And it starts at the Crusades, and it doesn't back away from going into some pretty brutal, nasty seasons in history. And the author basically makes this point. Through history, there's always been two ways people have gone at things. There are some who, in the name of God, have wanted to bully people, have wanted to control people, who've wanted to hurt people and do violence and have themselves take a position of ascendancy at the expense of others. And there have been people who have served and who have sacrificed and who have given themselves to do good for others. And the book also talks about Christians who stayed around in cities that were experiencing a plague when everyone else fled and risked catching the disease. Many died to serve the people who were ill. And Christians who gave everything they had to start hospitals and to start schools and to serve the poor. And he says these things have always kind of been there. There's some people who see it this way and there's some people who see it that way. Two very, very different visions of following God. And that's what comes up in this passage. These Pharisees, they're classic bullies. It's all about 
control. They want to tell everyone else, this is what you can do, and this is what you can't do. Yes, it's a Sabbath day, but no, you can't heal the guy. You need to stay sick. You need to stay with this withered hand. You might want to be healed, but no, no, no. Our rules forbid it, and because our rules forbid it, you can't do it. They don't want good to be done. They just want their control to be exerted. I wonder, maybe, probably the case for some in this room, just looking at the number of people, I wonder if you've had this kind of experience of religion at some point in your life, that you've been around a setting, whether a church or another setting, where, where you've seen people try and exert control in a way that pushes you down and oppresses you or does that to other people. I just want to say straight up this morning, that is not the way of Jesus. It's nowhere near the way of Jesus. It's what Jesus stood against. It's what Jesus opposed. And I'm so glad you're here with us this morning. And we're going to be looking at Jesus. We're going to be meeting with Jesus and see this different way. I believe God wants to meet with you this morning. If there's a flickering of hope that maybe there is a real deal of compassion and the love of God, that flicker can be extinguished in your heart. Because it's true. And that's what Jesus brought. But these two visions, it all comes to a head around the Sabbath day. So let's talk about what that is, what it's about, what's going on in the conversation. Essentially, it's a day of rest. One day out of seven, it, it was set up in the Old Testament law. God gave it to his people. And in Old Testament times, it was particularly Saturdays. And they do this as a community. They'd all have the same day off. And it comes from some verses near the beginning of the Old Testament. There's a few verses that I could go to. I've picked Leviticus 23 just because it's a nice summary of it. Verse 3, which just says, for six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath, a solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work. It's a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. Sounds pretty clear to me. Don't work every day. Have a day of rest. It's a day for God crack on with it. You know, it seems good common sense. You know, you might hear blogs of life wisdom that say roughly the same thing. And it it doesn't seem to go into that much detail about what it looks like. Different people might apply it differently. So I might decide, okay, I'm not going to work on whatever day I take Sabbath, okay, so I'll do some things that fill my soul. I, I love swimming, so maybe I'll, I'll go for a swim, have a bit of physical exercise, clearing my headspace. Maybe I'll read a book, and that's what I'm going to do. And Abby might decide on her Sabbath day, she's going to have some friends around, do a big dinner, laugh together. All fine. You know, you can trust people to live this out. Well, not in the eyes of the Pharisees. They wanted to control it. They wanted to go around everyone's house. They wanted to go and check up on Abby, that she's not doing things that are not quite their way of doing the Sabbath. And they want to be very prescriptive about it. So much so that they came up with a list of rules. And there are 39 of them. And they're called the Melachar. And I thought you'd be very grateful this morning if I went through all 39 with you. So that's what we're going to do. Here's what you were not allowed to do on the Sabbath day. Number one, planting. So you weren't allowed to to plant things. Now, if you've got in your head like massive harvest field, you kind of get it, but you couldn't even go in your garden and plant a few seeds. You're not allowed to plough if you're into ploughing. Reaping was not allowed either. Now, again, reaping, you might think industrial scale, 
But reaping, I looked into this one, right? I've got a raspberry bush in my garden. And if I wandered over to my raspberry bush on the Sabbath and took one off it and ate it, that would count, apparently, as reaping this raspberry bush. So that would be banned. Gathering crops, threshing, extraction, winnowing, sorting, purification, grinding. There's another story in the Gospels where Jesus' disciples are just kind of casually in a field. They pick a stalk of wheat and they're just doing that with their hands. That counted as grinding it, um, sifting, kneading, amalgamation, cooking. You're not allowed to cook your dinner. You have to have like a, a cold platter you've prepared the day before or something like that. Baking. If you're into baking, you wouldn't be allowed to do that either. That's just the like called the order of bread. That's the food-related stuff. Also, there's the order of garments, clothes-related stuff. You're not allowed to shear, scour. You're not allowed to launder, so you can't do your washing on the Sabbath. That would be band carding or combing wool. I don't really know what that is. I gave me comb on some wool. Anyway. Um, dyeing. Um, now, that's not like you're not allowed to drop dead. It's like changing the colour of fabric. Even the Pharisees would allow you to drop dead. Um, spinning, warping. Making two loops, threading heddles, weaving, separating two threads. That seems quite pernickety, doesn't it? Tying, which included shoelaces. Now, I'm looking around, and I see plenty of you have, have your shoes tied today. I'm, I'm hoping you did that last night ready and have just slipped your feet into them this morning. Um, untying as well, sewing uh, and tearing cloth. None of that would be allowed, um, then there's the order of hides. This is to do with animals. Trapping, killing, flaying, skinning, curing, preservation, smoothing, scoring, or measured cutting. So if you don't measure it, maybe you're allowed to do some cutting if you just guess the, the length, but measuring it, not allowed. Um, and then the order of construction was the fourth and final one, where writing, so um, if, if you want to take notes on the synagogue, what's going on in there, no, nope, you can't do that. Um, but I, I would say you've got to rub them out, but the next one is erasing, so you're not allowed to do that either. So if you've made that mistake, you've got to leave it be. Uh, construction, demolition. The next one's mad, right? Extinguishing a fire, <laughs> which included if your house was on fire, the expectation would be that you let it burn. Now, they did have a, an exception. If someone was in it, they let you put it out. But if your house was just burning down and no one was in it, you just had to let it burn and wait until the following day came around and see what you could salvage. Um, ignition, so that's like making fire. So uh, they, they would tend to like light candles the night before, before bed. So they had some candles for the day. Um, and then final completion. So bringing something to its intended finished state. So an example of this is a staple, right? When you buy a staple, it's not in the shape it will end up. It's in that shape, and the things need to get tucked under. You couldn't put the things under on the staple, so stapling would be banned because it brings something to final completion. Another thing that final completion would apply to is pot noodles because, like... For a pot noodle to be in a usable state, the water needs to be in with the stuff. You, you can't do that. Now, actually, you've already been banned from pot noodles by the cooking. So if you say it's just a pot noodle, it doesn't count. Well, here's a second rule for you. Also, the rule on tearing applies to taking the lid and the sachet as well. So... And to boil the water, wouldn't that require some ignition in the electricity? So you've got about five rules in there that ban pot noodles. I think that's going a little bit far. Um, 
and then fine-tuning, so um, kind of tuning something up back into its correct state. So you were allowed to play the guitar, but if the guitar went out of tune, you weren't allowed to put it back in tune. So you just have to hope in synagogue that the guitarist on the worship set could get through without needing a retune before the end of the service. They were the rules, 39 of them. Do you see where they got them from in that verse in Leviticus that we read? Can you see them all clearly in there? Because I can't. They, they made them up, hadn't they? They'd just come up with all of this system and they were bullying everyone, pushing everyone. You have to do it the way we say. We've said you can't do any of this stuff. God said, have a rest. They said it, it means all of this. And it was a control thing. And this was the trap that they'd set for Jesus on that day. Because um, healing this guy would, uh, in their minds, break the rules. So the question before Jesus is, is he going to nod along with their interpretation of things? Is he going to accept that this is what following God is? That it's not just kind of from your heart worshipping him, but it's going along with all these extra man-made rules. And he could endorse them. He could say, yeah, yeah, you're right. Sorry, we can't heal you today, mate. That was what they wanted him to do. Or he could challenge it. He could kick up a fuss. But if he did that, then they'd have a reason to have a go at him, a big argument would ensue. Would Jesus let the shape of Christianity be control, bullying, rules, and legalism? It's a trap that a lot of Christians have fallen into many times through the centuries, but bullying in the name of God is not a godly thing to do. Let's be clear on that. We're called to compassion, not to control. Christ Church Manchester, I want us to be a church that exudes the gentleness of Jesus. Where people are drawn to him, not pushed in terms of, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. A place of freedom and a place of grace. That's the atmosphere that Jesus wishes to cultivate. They did have a loophole in all these rules. So we've been through the 39 rules. They had one loophole, and it was called Pikua Nefesh. And uh, Alison Van Tilburg describes what it means. She says, Pikua Nefesh asserts that human life always comes first even if it means breaking other Jewish laws, such as the Sabbath. So if someone's going to die, and breaking one of these rules would be what it took to save them, you were allowed to do it. So that's why if your house was on fire and somebody was in it, you'd be allowed to extinguish the fire. So that's why these Pharisees were pretty clever, because they picked a guy who was clearly suffering, was clearly in pain, clearly needed healing, but he wasn't about to die. His withered hand didn't threaten his life. If they'd have brought someone who had a life-threatening condition, maybe Jesus could have healed him and said, yep, because in the flesh, it's fine. But this was a different situation. He wasn't in mortal danger. He could, in theory, wait till the next day. And so that's their question. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And they'd often have debate, and they'd say, are we allowed to do this? Is this thing lawful? That was quite a common way of conversing. But Jesus kind of exposes the whole thing as, firstly, a little bit ludicrous, which I'm trying to do this morning as well, and secondly, as a bit hypocritical. And his question is this. Well, which one of you, if you've got a sheep that falls into a pit on the Sabbath day, is not going to lift that sheep out? Because obviously anyone would do that. If you're, if you're just taking your sheep for a walk in the park and there's a big hole and the sheep falls in it, you're not going to think, that's annoying. I'll come back tomorrow for the sheep. <laughs> you, you wouldn't do that, would you? You'd, you'd be like, 
right, fine, I'll lift the sheep out, and you carry on walking your sheep. And the Pharisees would do the same. Now, all of them have probably been in situations like this where some minor inconvenience has happened, and they've just rectified it there and then. And he says, look, if for your sheep, you would just say, well, it's obvious that the thing to do is help it. Well, how much more for a person, a person made in God's image? Aren't people of more value than sheep? And yet you're treating the person as worthless, but the sheep is worth bending your rules for. You're hypocrites, is what he says to them. Michael C. Mickens says, for Jesus, the Sabbath was a day of freedom. I think that's the real key, isn't it, to how Jesus entered this conversation. In fact, most of Jesus' recorded activities on the Sabbath find him either, either liberating someone from their broken physical and spiritual condition or liberating the Sabbath itself from false theological ideas and traditional rabbinic claims, exactly what's been happening here, that had essentially transformed the Sabbath into a day of bondage and burdens. These religious leaders wanted to make this day that God had given as a gift into a burden. They wanted to make it hard work for people to keep the rules. Jesus saw it a very different way. He said this, that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It's a gift, it's a blessing, it's something that God has given for our good. They were making it out to be anything but. Sabbath's a gift, it reminds us to build rest into our routines. Now, that's not today's focus. It is a good thing to think about. How are you rested? How are you making use of the gift that God's given? But uh, today we're looking at this particular encounter. Our main focus is an encounter between this man and Jesus. And so far we've talked about a lot of the background, a lot of the conversation around it. But the most important thing that happened that morning wasn't Jesus setting the Pharisees straight. It wasn't this teaching on the Sabbath. It's that a man met with Jesus and his life was changed. That's the bullseye of what happened. And the most important thing that will happen here today, this morning, it's not that we sing some songs, it's not that I do this talk, it's not uh, that we drink coffee, it's none of that. The most important thing this morning is you meeting with Jesus. Jesus is here and he wants to meet with each one of us today. That's the most important thing. And what happened to the man when he had his encounter with Jesus. Two things. First one is healing. The man was healed. Jesus told him, stretch out your hand. And when he did, his hand was made healthy and whole, just like the other one. Over the last few weeks, I don't know if you've been tracking along this series of life-changing encounters with Jesus that we've done, but we've seen healing happen quite often, haven't we? We saw a person with leprosy come to Jesus and, uh, and say, if you will, you will make me clean. And Jesus made him clean. We've seen the healing of a centurion's servant as well. We've seen different people with different situations come and be healed. We've seen a paralyzed person brought to Jesus and Jesus told them to get up and take up your mat. And today we see the man with the withered hand healed. Do you think a pattern's forming? Do you think we're seeing that Jesus is a healer. And the good news that I've got is that that's not just limited to 2,000 years ago, but Jesus still heals today. I've got a testimony a few years ago when I was healed. I used to have these uh, real sharp back pains, probably once every couple of weeks. And when it happened, I had to stop what I was doing and lie down for about 10 minutes. And uh, it, it was annoying. It was inconvenient. It was a bit painful. And 
Someone was at the front of a meeting a bit like this and just said, look, I've got faith that uh, Jesus wants to heal some people who are having back pains today. I was like, okay, well, um, <clears throat> that's certainly me. I'll, I'll go and I'll be prayed for. That was eight years ago, and I haven't had one since. And it's just amazing because it was happening all the time. So I can testify that prayer for healing is something that Jesus still answers today. I've seen it happen to other people as well. My story isn't like the only one that I know. It's happened to quite a lot of my friends that they've been healed of different things as well. So this man who was paralyzed in one hand, which uh, the hand would have been dried, it would have been shrunken. Jesus said, I want you to stretch out your hand. And he was healed. And I think we should do this. I think we should pray for some people to be healed. I think we should do it now. And uh, what, what I would encourage you to could, could everyone just stand up for a minute, just for this moment, please? I'm not going to ask you to come forward. We're not going to do it that way. There's all the COVID stuff. But what I am going to do is just ask you, just bring to mind right now, if there's anything that you would like Jesus to heal you of. If there's stuff that you've been struggling with, maybe you haven't talked to others, maybe you have talked to others, maybe it's new, maybe it's ongoing, but just that you know, Jesus, I want you to heal me of this thing. Then just bring that to mind. And if you think, hey, I'm absolutely fine, I'm healthy, think of a mate who you'd like to see healed. Think of someone else who you want to pray for healing for. You know, I was praying last night, I just had a sense that maybe uh, Jesus wants to do something in a right ear for someone. So I'm just going to throw that in there. If that's you, you know it's you, but don't worry otherwise. But I think Jesus wants to heal in all sorts of ways. And Jesus invited this man to take a step of faith, which was to stretch out his hand. That was for him, the body part that he needed healing. I'm just going to pray, but could I just invite you maybe to take a step? And if there is an obvious place on the body, whether it's like a shoulder, just put your hand on your shoulder. If it's your stomach, put your hand on your stomach. Just as a, a symbol that you're ready to receive what Jesus wants to do. And let's pray. Jesus, I pray right now that the healing that we see here in the scriptures, as you healed this man, that you bring that same healing here in this room this morning. God, I pray for these things that people have brought to heart and brought to mind. I pray where these hands are laid right now, would the power of your Holy Spirit come and bring healing, bring wholeness, bring fullness. Jesus, we thank and we praise you. God, I pray that in this room there'll be people with, with stories. Hey, I was feeling this when we just prayed. Jesus healed me. Would you do it now, Jesus? Amen. Sit down again, please. So there was two things that happened to this man. One was healing. The second thing is Jesus humanized him. These Pharisees had brought him along as bait in their trap. And Jesus knew it was anything but. He was a human. He was a man made in God's image. And he matters, not just as a trap for a religious leader, but as someone with dignity. I don't know if you can identify with him. I don't know if you feel, yeah, other people have pushed me around. I've just been a pawn in the agendas of other people. And I want to say to you this morning, if you feel that, if you recognize something of that, that Jesus loves you, that Jesus cares for you, that Jesus wants to meet with you this morning, I really believe that. I don't think you're here 
by accident. I don't think you've just turned up by chance. I think Jesus has a divine encounter for you this morning. You know, I was chatting with some friends recently about famous people that we've met and how underwhelming those encounters have been. I think one of my friends said he saw Mike Pilavachi in the toilets. Uh, I once saw Michelle Keegan at Tesco and um, she was stood in the way of the baskets on her phone and I had to go and say, sorry, can I just get a basket? And you think all these famous people, like, oh, wow, when I meet them, it's going to be amazing. And it's usually pretty underwhelming. It usually ends up pretty small, pretty disappointing. And that's no criticism of them. They're just people, aren't they? With Jesus, it's different. An encounter with Jesus lives up to expectations. It exceeds them. It changes everything. I started by telling you how 19 years ago, I had my encounter with Jesus. That has changed the shape of my life since. Meeting Jesus has changed everything. I'd love for you to meet with him as well. I'm going to pray once more. I'm going to invite Abby back and let's sing and let's worship. And let's just be open as we worship to what Jesus is doing, how he's meeting with us, what he wants to say. And let's make this a moment together where we come before him. Jesus, we thank you so much that you're, you're all about compassion. You're not about controlling and uh, pushing around people but you're about giving freedom. And Lord, I pray today that we experience your compassionate freedom, your kindness, and your wonderful presence. Amen.